Uh, today we are concluding our teaching series in, in which we've been considering what trusting God looks like as we walk through and endure the experiences and seasons of, of challenge and difficulty that come against us in our lives. And to guide us, we've been turning to the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah, who really, whose entire life essentially was one of difficulty, of challenge, burden, and rejection. And really, perhaps that's why Jeremiah wrote the longest book in all of Scripture, if you base it on word count. And his book is also one of the most enigmatic, challenging books in Scripture to understand. Meaning that when you read it without just at least some awareness of the historical context of Jeremiah's words, much of it doesn't seem to make sense. So over the past four weeks, we've kind of been seeking to lay out some of the historical, geographical elements of what was taking place during the time when Jeremiah ministered. And, and we've really, in that process, been working to uncover the major themes that flow out of this book of Jeremiah. And to this point, if you've been with us, we've seen that some of the main themes in Jeremiah, for one, has been the impact of sin. And, and actually, prophets don't preach unless there's sin, unless there's some defiance and disobedience of God. So in the case of Jeremiah with the people of Judah, this, this nation was turning away from God. They were beginning to worship the false gods of the Near East, Baal and Asherah. And then they started adopting the values of these false gods. So they turned away from God's word. They oppressed the poor and immigrants who were part of their society. They even began to offer their children in sacrifice to Baal and Asherah. They just turned away from the things God wanted for them and, and bringing on things that would only hurt and wound them. So the prophet Jeremiah comes saying, hey, be aware, you've turned away from God. You are grieving the heart of God. You're, you're wounding yourselves and other people in this just endless pursuit of more. So that's really a first theme we've seen in past weeks, the impact of sin. And a second theme we've noted in Jeremiah is that judgment is coming. I mean, there was sin, and then there was a coming judgment. So we'd mentioned this, that every night for 40 years, Jeremiah likely went to sleep with the same nightmare. These images, this revelation God had given him of the city of Jerusalem being destroyed the, as the empire from north came down and crushed it, and the people of Judah would be slaughtered, taken into captivity. So a third theme of Jeremiah was in his call to repentance, just continually crying. Understand, unless you repent, God's protection will be removed from you. Just please turn to him. So he's seen these three themes, the impact of sin, the coming judgment, and this call to repentance. But the fourth, and for us the last message and theme of Jeremiah, is what we're going to consider today. And perhaps unexpectedly, it's a message of hope. Even after judgment, hope. Hope for those who have no right of the possibility of ever expecting it again. So to look at this scene, what, this is what we're going to do. We're going to, again, kind of give a bit of historical context and review. Again, because understanding the context is just so important for rightly understanding the passages we're going to look at. And, and then we're going to look through these passages together in Scripture. And finally, again, as we've been asking, we're just going to consider, okay, so what does this mean for us here today? All right, so, so first, we're going to do this. We're going to go 
back to the maps because all of you keep saying, we want more maps here. All right, I hear you. You don't want more cowbell, you want maps. So here's the map. Here we go. This is the Assyrian Empire again in the Fertile Crescent. That was the empire in place when Jeremiah was ministering. And its capital city was the city of Nineveh. That's what it was there. Now, Nineveh, that area, I mean, just to get a picture, that's modern-day Iran. That's where it was. And then as Jeremiah prophesied, came the Babylonian Empire. Out of Babylon, that is modern-day Iraq. And that empire was in place and was the one that would bring judgment against God's people. So just to kind of put this together, let's look at a timeline of these events. And again, we, we started with 627 B.C. We know that date, right? That's, that's the year that Jeremiah began ministering as just a teenager. And he was ministering under the Assyrian rule. Then 605 BC is when the Babylonian Empire really began to take power. And, and some of the people of Judah were then, even then, taken into captivity. And, and then in 587 BC, that cataclysmic year, when Judah and Jerusalem finally fall completely to the Babylonians. In Jerusalem, the temple are destroyed, thousands are massacred. And, and then the king, his family, the court, the cabinet, all the officials along with thousands of Judeans, are taken away to Babylon in exile. I mean, we just try to imagine this. I mean, imagine if you would, that would be like a foreign power conquering Canada and, and then taking the prime minister, his family, the entire parliament, our Supreme Court, every major leader who makes the news, and most religious leaders into captivity, taking them away to a foreign land which I know some of you would prefer. <laughs> I get that sense. Okay, but that's what happened in Judah. I mean, kind of beginning, 605 BC, then 597 BC, and culminating in 587 BC with the destruction of the city of Jerusalem and the nation of Judah. And that led into this long period that's referred to as the Jewish exile, also called the Babylonian captivity. So it was 50 years from the time of the final destruction of Judah, 70 years total, until the time when the people of Judah could begin to return home. All right, that, that's, I want you to understand that time period, that's the time period we're reading about in our biblical text today. Because Jeremiah's message of hope, it was for the people of God who were actually now living in exile. They were hopeless. He wasn't warning them anymore that the warning was done because the consequences had been experienced. Now we've been reflecting on this as we've journeyed through this book together. I mean, what in the world would this have felt like? I mean, when the Jews when they watched their capital city just destroyed in front of them, when, when they actually saw the temple of God collapse, I mean, what was that like? You know, I was reflecting on this this week and thought, you know, we, in some way we've seen small glimpses of something like this. Just came to mind two summers ago. Do you remember those apocalyptic pictures of Fort McMurray? Just engulfed, the city evacuated? That kind of brings images to mind. Or think of this. Think when you watched the news, if you did, on September 11, 2001. You may have felt something of what they would have felt just watching in staggering disbelief of what you're seeing in front of you. 
But, but again, just imagine this. Imagine it wasn't just the Twin Towers that collapsed, but that all of New York City was destroyed, along with all the national leaders. And, and then you kind of can begin to get a taste of what they might have felt in Jerusalem on that ancient day. As their king, they watched their king blinded, marched away, heading off to bondage in Babylon. I mean, you can only imagine that the level of anguish, fear, grief at that. Now, some of the people of Judah, actually, they managed to evade the invasion and escape to Egypt. And some others lingered, not many, but a few others lingered around in the region. And Jeremiah was one of them. Again, as we know, Jeremiah was in prison before this, put there by King Zedekiah of Judah. But the king of Babylon released Jeremiah, set him free. So Jeremiah then along with a few others with him, start walking among the ashes and ruins of Jerusalem. And out of that grief, Jeremiah, it's traditionally believed, wrote at least part of the book of Lamentations. And it really gives us some sense of, of what they were feeling, seeing as they just stumbled through their city. So hear this. This is from the book of Lamentations, just immediately to the right of Jeremiah. Lamentations 1. And as we hear these words, remember, this is a word of God. And this is what was written in verse 1. How lonely sits a city that was full of people. Can you picture it? Just this beautiful, vibrant city and home. And now the, the street's empty. Just charred remains. Verse 1 again. How like a widow has she become, she who is great among the nations. She who is a princess among the provinces has become a slave. She weeps, weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheek. Verse 11. All her people groan as they search for bread. They trade their treasures for food. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Look and see if there's any sorrow like my sorrow, which was brought upon me. And then look back at verse 9. Her fall is terrible. She has no comforter. There is no hope for us. You know, what's kind of interesting is that many of the books of the Old Testament were actually written during this period. They were written during the exile in Babylon. Like First and Second Kings was at least partly written during the exile. I, I mean, as a Jewish people, you can kind of understand, as they just tried recounting their royal history, trying to understand what in the world has happened to us. Or the book of Ezekiel was written during the exile. Ezekiel was a priest. He was also a prophet of God. And so Ezekiel preached in Babylon for part of his ministry to the exiled Jews there. A number of the Psalms that we have were written during this time of captivity. Lamentations was written during the exile. And then think of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those guys. They were taken away into exile to Babylon. And you might remember those stories like of Daniel. Daniel being thrown in the lion's den because he won't worship the Babylonian gods, only Yahweh. But God saved him in that lion's den. Or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, some of you learned of that in Sunday school, thrown into the fiery furnace by King Nebuchadnezzar, the one who conquered Jerusalem, because they wouldn't bow down to his idol. And God again saved them. I mean, all of these stories, just seeing, picture it, take place in the exile, in Babylon. So, so really, when you understand the events kind of leading up to surrounding this Babylonian exile, you're really able to open up many of the books of the Old Testament with greater insight. Like, for example, Psalm 137. This was written in the exile. In this, what we read, Psalm 137, verse 1. 
by the waters of Babylon. There it is. By the waters of Babylon. There we sat down and we wept when we remembered Zion, meaning when we remembered Jerusalem. And then this cry, verse 4. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? How do we praise now? You know, you ever been in a season of life where you've maybe come into a worship gathering here and felt like, I, I just can't sing. It's not within me today. And that's what they were saying. How do we sing the Lord's song in this foreign place, this exile? Man, you feel the weight of this? Just the, the pain, the, just the sense of lostness here being expressed. Okay, so I, I want to ask you a question that you very well might already be asking in your own mind. Okay, Clyde, this is all interesting. Ancient history, Babylon, King Josiah, Zedekiah. But really? Why should we care? I mean, clearly, they went through difficult times. They did. But why does this matter to us? And I, I so hope you've realized as we've gone through this series that the, the point hasn't primarily been to teach you just the names of ancient prophets, deities, and kings. I mean, those can be helpful to know. They can be. It's helpful to be aware historically, absolutely. But understand this. The reason these stories of the exile are in Scripture is because the exile is repeated in one way or another in every generation among God's people. I mean, this is a timeless story of people kind of wandering away from God and then finding themselves because of their choices in this place of exile. Or people who find themselves in this kind of lost place, hopeless place, experiencing exile, even when they were following and honoring God, like Jeremiah and Daniel were, but their experiences because of other people's rotten choices. And so we can therefore experience the consequences of what others choose to do. But, but there are times, I believe, in every one of our lives, and at times even in the life of our nation, where it can feel like there's no hope. And the reality is, we actually can't live long without hope. If you've read some of the writings of Viktor Frankl, he's a Holocaust survivor, a noted psychotherapist, he wrote this. When I would watch prisoners in the concentration camp who lost hope, I knew it was only a matter of time before they died. Because human beings can't live long without hope. A, a noted doctor, chair of medicine at Harvard University, Dr. Jerome Goopman, he wrote a book on the topic called The Anatomy of Hope. And in it, he makes this observation. Hope gives us the courage to confront our circumstances and the capacity to surmount them. For all my patients, hope, true hope, has proved as important as any medication I might prescribe or any procedure I might perform. I mean, this, this brilliant doctor says, I mean, the most important thing I can give people is actually not medication. It's hope. And we know this. When we read Jeremiah, well, there, there really wasn't much hope for the Jews in Babylon. I mean, just... Imagine you are them. There you are in Babylon, just these little community of Jews that you are among this empire, powerful empire of millions in Babylon. 
pocket to you? I mean, what was the chance you were ever going to be let out of there or get out of there? I mean, what is the chance you can raise up a little army to fight against the Babylonian Empire? Couldn't do it. I mean, so these people, they had lost their loved ones, they'd lost their property, they'd lost their pride, they'd lost their land, and therefore, much of their sense of self-identity, they'd lost their faith. They really, you could say, they had lost everything that was around them. As they're living in exile. And again, here's the thing with this. Every one of us will experience some kind of exile at some point in our lives. Every one of us. And exile, it can come in many different forms. Like, just think of the economic crisis that we've been going through in recent years. A crisis that I know is still really being felt. I mean, some of you were, maybe have been out of work for long periods of time. And with that, there's this understandable sense of displacement. You could say exile. Where you can really start to feel like, is there hope in this? Am I ever going to find a vocation, work again, that will actually fulfill me, that will provide enough again? Or, or sometimes the exile we experience is more specific. It's not just to a large group of people. But, for example, it can be when your marriage falls apart. I mean, when your spouse leaves and you're, and you're trying to figure out, how do I put my life back together again? Or it can be the family who loses a child, or a serious illness hits, or just that stunning diagnosis is received. Or when it feels for you like this lifelong dream, perhaps you've been walking in, hoping towards, just kind of evaporates. Or, or those moments where you're living and it, it starts feeling like whatever is happening around you, it starts feeling like your personal world is kind of crumbling around you. Ever, those moments when you feel like, man, the foundations just feel like we're shaking. You experience that? Or, or just kind of hundreds of other things we walk through. We can find ourselves, we could put it this way, just experiencing exile. So Jeremiah, in these books of scripture were written, understand, to provide guidance for others as they journey through exile. And again, it doesn't take a prophet to tell you, I don't have to predict by some revelation given me by the Holy Spirit, that someday you'll likely experience exile if you're not experiencing it already. And, and so these words, they're what we need. Now what we find in the prophets kind of surprisingly, is that there's this move. After, after foretelling that exile is coming, there's always this move to offer hope to the exiles. I mean, you try to picture this. For 40 years, as we mentioned before, Jeremiah is preaching the same message. For 40 years, he warns them, he pleads with them, he begs them to repent. But when the time finally comes where the exiles are, are taken away to Babylon, his tone changes. And Jeremiah becomes this prophet of hope. Isaiah does too, and really all the rest of the prophets are the same. They all offer these words of hope. And again, we hear this in the writings of Lamentation. Again, perhaps from Jeremiah. Yeah, picture this again. We're walking through these charred streets of Jerusalem. We already heard the pain and anguish they experienced, but listen to how this anguish turns. As we read of it, this is in chapter 3, Lamentations 3.19. 
Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. Been there ever? My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. You know what that's like. I mean, those times when you're just constantly thinking the situation you're in, how hopeless it feels. You know when you, you just want to turn your mind off and feel like, how do I get this real to stop? <laughs> but then this, verse 21. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. So he, he makes this shift here, walking through the city and the ruins around him. And, and the shift, it, it's not one that comes because his external circumstances have changed even one bit. But rather, even in the mess, the ruins around him, there's this declaration of faith. I, I believe even in this exile, even among the rubble that's around me that I'm walking through, I believe that God has not abandoned me. My God is a God of a second chance. My God is a God of new beginnings. So I will trust him and not be afraid, Isaiah says in Isaiah 12, because I know that his mercies, I know they're new every morning. I know his faithfulness is great. So therefore, I, I am choosing by faith, I will have hope. Now, you know and I know that when we're walking through exile, there's really one of two responses we can have towards God. I think we're all aware of this. I mean, when you've been through hell on earth, some people, they turn away from God. And they say, if there was a God, this never would have happened to me. I mean, if God exists, he would have saved me. He would have spared me from this. I, I can't believe in him anymore. And really, sometimes in those moments, we want to lash out in anger and at the God who we actually do believe in, but either we're so hurt, so confused, maybe so disappointed in him that we can't say it. So it's like we try to punish God by saying, I don't believe in you anymore. And many of us have been in a place where maybe you've been wondering how present God actually is as you're walking through deep waters? But here's the reality. When you turn away from God, when you're in the middle of exile, then you have no hope. I mean, where will you turn now if you do that? If, if there isn't a God who loves you and, and wants to give you hope in a future, where else can you find it if not in him? Now, we know that other people, others can have a tendency when they're going through exile to turn to or return to God. I mean, maybe they've been wandering from her. Maybe they've been faithful all along. Again, like Jeremiah and Daniel. But, but they then choose, I'm going to hold on with white knuckles like the writer of Lamentations. Who, who stands there among the rubble of Jerusalem and says, this is what I am choosing to call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of my God never ceases. So friends, that's what the prophets invite us to. 
But know this, they don't just end with a call to trust. They also give a reason for hope. I mean, long before the Babylonian exile took place, the prophet Isaiah declared the promises of God, words of hope for the exiles, even though he was living more than a century before them. So listen to the promise Isaiah gave prophetically. This is Isaiah 51:11. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with what? Singing, they will. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sign shall flee away. I mean, what, really, what an audacious claim to make when people are living in exile with absolutely no chance of freedom of overcoming their captors. But Isaiah could still say to them, I'm declaring it because I have seen it. Or we go to Jeremiah's writings. In Jeremiah 29, it's like that's where hope breaks out. It just can't be stopped in Jeremiah. I mean, it's expressed in other places in Jeremiah. But in Jeremiah 29 to 33, there's just this relentless, unbounded hope. So let's look at Jeremiah 29. Turn there if you have your Bible. And to what is likely the most famous passage and verse in all of Jeremiah. Because here the Lord says to the exiles, Jeremiah 29 to 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Okay, having you heard that, let, let's give some context again to these words. Because, friends, I, I think we often hear them out of context. And therefore, I fear we hear them kind of tritely. Maybe expecting, okay, so God is saying, he's going to immediately bring all good to me, just good. And we hear that and think, well, well let's, let's remember this. These are words, verse 11 are words. This is a passage written to prisoners, exiles who have no hope. And and Jeremiah 29 actually begins this way. Jeremiah, again, he had watched the first 10,000 Jewish captives marched away in exile. He had seen the king, all the leaders of Jerusalem and Judah taken away to Babylon. He'd seen it. He watched it. The people are terrified as they are now in exile. And so Jeremiah sends a letter to the Jews who are now experiencing that captivity in exile. And this is what he writes. This is in Jeremiah 29.1. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exile, to the priests, the prophets, all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken in exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So understand this. Jeremiah 29.11 is part of this letter. And in this letter, what Jeremiah was doing, he was correcting the prophecies of false prophets who were actually living among the exiles in Babylon. And these prophets were saying, these false prophets, Jeremiah 28.3, this is what they said. Within two years, I will bring back to Jerusalem all the vessels of the Lord's house. So these false prophets are telling the people, the Egyptians are going to save us, and we're going to get out of exile, we're going to get back home in two years. So what Jeremiah is doing in Jeremiah 29, he's saying, uh, no, that's a false hope. They're lying to you. He's saying, it's not going to be two years, it's going to be 70 years. And that's what it was. If you date it from when Babylon first began to take ownership of Judah and Jerusalem. I mean, these exiles, they would live in Babylon for 50 to 70 years. So Jeremiah says to the exiles, therefore, verse 5, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives, have sons and daughters, multiply there, do not decrease. You know what he's saying? Settle in. This isn't going to be quick. Build homes. 
Prepare for a long wait. Not happy news for the people, right? Definitely not. I mean, you just think about that. I mean, tr try to put ourselves there. You think about that. An individual who hears, you're going to be out of exile in two years. Okay, you can kind of get your mind around that, kind of try to strengthen up and say, okay, I, I can wait that long. But if you hear, it's going to be seven years, that evokes a response. Okay, I'm, I'm probably going to be dead by then. And the reality is, that's how life is sometimes. And, and we're like this. We want God to bring deliverance right now. Don't we? I do. I, I pray. I want the answer like tomorrow if I got to wait that long. And, and if I pray every day for three weeks in a row and something doesn't happen, I, I can start to feel, what's taking so long? Three weeks, my word. I mean, have you heard me, God? You can wonder in that. You know that feeling, right? I think everyone at that moment should say amen. We, we know that feeling. Because we want God to fix things when? Now, we do. And, and what, unfortunately, too often we have prophets, modern prophets of our day promising, your God is going to fix things right now and you will experience only success. And so you take that idea, you take that kind of teaching and you look at God's word. And you look at scripture and you see this consistent pattern that our God does not typically fix things now. He doesn't. The Israelites were in slavery in Egypt. You think they were praying? For 400 years, they waited for a deliverer. Or even being really conservative, the first messianic prophecy, God's first promise of a deliverer was written at least 1,000 to 1,400 years before that deliverer, Jesus, came on the scene. Or these Jews in Babylon, they would be there for 50 to 70 years in exile. And God says to them through Jeremiah, this is your reality for a while. So live in this reality. Build homes, plant crops, have kids. But do it realizing that the day will come when I will deliver you from exile, says the Lord. You can rest on that promise, says the Lord. As much as you are now experiencing the exile that was foretold through Jeremiah, you can rest on the reality, deliverance is coming. And, and the truth was, some of these Jews in exile, they wouldn't live to see that day. It would be their children or their children's children who would see it. But here's the thing. Knowing, being confident that it would happen, sustained them. And, and they in that could find hope, even in exile. So let's hear it again. Jeremiah, therefore, says to Jews, neck deep in exile for decades. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, exiles, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. So whatever our circumstances are in the world today, God says, if you turn to me, if you seek me, I promise you a future of hope. So let's, let's bring that to us. So, so we look at the circumstances of our day. We look at the circumstances of our world. And we look at the reality that following Jesus obediently, it's likely going to be increasingly difficult in our world. There's likely going to be an increasing cost to choosing to follow Jesus. And I don't think that's being pessimistic. I just think that's being realistic. 
But it doesn't therefore mean that we kind of live in fear. But rather, we know that in the end, the story is going to turn out redemptively. We don't know exactly how that's going to happen. We don't know when it's going to happen. We just know our God is not finished with us yet. He's not finished with our circumstances. Because our God has a plan, his word says, to bless us and prosper us, to give us a future with hope. And the reality is, I need to realize, I might not see what that looks like in this lifetime. I might, might not be one who actually experiences it here, but I am confident what God has promised will come to fruition. And therefore, because of that, I can have hope. And, and that's why the exiles then could turn back to God. In follow, instead of following these God of the Babylonians, because they knew God had promised to bring them home. So again, we ask the question, okay, so what are these chapters, what are these books and scriptures, these prophecies, what do they mean for us? And again, we remember, they're not here just to teach us ancient history. They're not here just to say that exile and struggles are going to come in our life, though they are. They are here to assure us that exile will never be the final word. The worst day of your life will not be the final day of your life. God will always give you a future with hope for you. And again, it may not be on this side of eternity, but there is always hope with God. And this is what Jeremiah was giving these people. And hear this. This is what our God is offering to you. So let's go back to our timeline for a moment, just so you know the rest of the story. Because in, in 539 BC, something amazing took place. Cyrus, king of the Persians, Cyrus takes his army and he marches against the mighty city of Babylon. Now Babylon at that time, it was surrounded by these massive walls. It was actually built on top of the Euphrates rivers uh, along both banks. And, and so they had iron gates going down by, from these massive walls down part of the way into the river for protection. And so hear this, historically stunning, by night, the Persians redirected the flow of the Euphrates River, drying up the riverbanks by Babylon. And the Persians then invaded the city by coming up under those now dry iron gates by the river. And that morning, they, they took the city of Babylon with hardly any opposition because the Babylonians thought this city is impenetrable. And so Cyrus then initiates now the Persian Empire as he conquers the Babylonians. And in 538 BC, he then issues an edict, which you can find in Persian history, not just in biblical history. And that edict declared, the Jews are now free. They can go to their homeland. Not only that point, but Cyrus also provides the funds to rebuild the temple in the city of Jerusalem. I mean, what was humanly impossible, God accomplished just through the forces of history. And so the people returned to Zion just as Isaiah had said they would. Literally, with singing. So listen. It may not be tomorrow. It might not be next month. It might not even be next year. But know this. Our God always has hope for you through Jesus Christ. God has not abandoned you. When you turn to him, when you trust him, he has a future with a hope that you can experience. So you then could say along and sing with Jeremiah from Lamentations 3.21. Okay, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. 
The steadfast love of my Lord, it never ceases. His, his mercies, they never come to an end. They are new every morning. Every morning. Great is your faithfulness of my God. So before we come to communion, I'd like to do this. I'd, I'd like for us to reflect on those words from Lamentations 3. Brett's going to come and just sing those words. Understand, the lyrics of this song were written 2,600 years ago. So let's hear it as a prayer. Perhaps you need to let these words bathe over you today. Let's hear it in prayer as we prepare to come and receive from Christ. <laughs>